This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome back to the latest Liverpool Echo Blood Red podcast. Paul Gorse, David Lynch and Richard Garnett are all alongside myself, Matt Addison, as we talk through the latest LFC talking points across the next half an hour or so. Gorsley, I'll come to you first. Obviously, we'll talk through the uh, the game on Saturday against Chelsea. I mean, the, the biggest thing for, for me coming away from it really was just the, the difference really between the, the two games in uh, or at Wembley in the, the cup finals last season, Liverpool and, and Chelsea. Compare it to this. We knew there was a drop-off, but that was kind of the, the thing that I thought coming away from that game. What did you, what did you make of it? Uh, two teams who... Um... We've having struggling seasons, really. You know, you could tell it was what was it, eighth against tenth, um, just for how. You know, there was just. I mean, the atmosphere wasn't great to begin with, was it? Twelve thirty kickoffs really do bring out the best in Anfield, but I kind of had a, a hope during the week that with it being Chelsea and with it being a big fixture and all that kind of stuff, we'd have seen something a little bit similar to. Manchester City game when Anfield really roared on Liverpool over the line, particularly you know once that um, goal got ruled out for the last twenty-five minutes or so, but it just never got going at all. Um, and when that happens, the players always find it difficult to, to kind of rouse the troops, and even more so when it's a team playing with virtually no confidence. Um, so. It was just a little bit of a perfect storm to combine to produce one of the most ordinary games of football that I think I've, I've seen at Anfield, in, in all honesty. It was just, I can't even think of one chance. Um, Mudrick, obviously, at the side netting when he came on, didn't he? I thought Cody Gakpo should have done better with, with an early one in the first half. Chelsea had the goal ruled out, but other than that, it, it was just nothing to write home about, was there? And um, I kind of wrote after the game that two teams who were struggling with the um, kind of transfer strategies at the moment in wildly contrasting ways. You know, Chelsea are going hell for leather, aren't they, and bringing in anyone left, right and centre, and they've spent about £400 million under the Todd Bowley ownership. And that's only two transfer windows or two and a half transfer windows. Or, sorry, one and a half transfer windows. Uh, whereas Klopp down the other end would sorely love to improve his midfield ranks, I'm sure, but Having already brought Cody Gapo to the club at the start of January, there's pretty much no more money left in the pot. So it's it's two clubs who um, aren't quite getting the balance right in the transfer market, and we're seeing that with the seasons that they're having. And uh, it was no real surprise to see Liverpool struggle up top. You know, no Jota, no Firmino, no Diaz. Darwin Nunes is only fit enough for the second half cameo. Cody Gapo still adjusting to life in the Premier League. I'm not sure Harvey Elliott on the left did anything really. I think it would be harsh on him to play him out of position. Um, so, yeah, it was just a really tepid game of football, wasn't it? And uh, me and Lynch were there freezing our you-know-what's-off and uh, I don't think either of us particularly enjoyed it. No, it wasn't a particularly enjoyable game, was it? I think as well, Rich, as myself and, and you mentioned on Twitter yesterday, you, you watched the, the Arsenal-Manchester United game. You compare that to, to what Liverpool and, and Chelsea put in the, the day before. It, it just really did feel like a, a big contrast in that. It, it really, really was not great to watch. Well, the key difference was that game yesterday was enjoyable. <laughs> Simple as that, really. That was a, 
uh, a great football match and we shouldn't give too much credit for Man United on this channel, I'm sure, but they played their part in, in what was a cracking football game. But of course, the real the real uh, takeout was was how brilliant Arsenal were and, and and eventually won a game with with you know relentless attacking and attacking looks like a bit of an endangered species for Liverpool at the moment. It, it, it seems to be the sort of spells of sustained pressure are, are few and far between and and. The, the game on Saturday was was I, I pre- look I predicted on Friday nil nil and I don't think it was Nostradamus to have done that to be honest with you it had the look of two struggling sides and who, who were quite likely to cancel each other out and uh, and so it turned out in the end it, 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 and the whole the whole spectacle was was pretty dull in terms of the atmosphere uh, um, I, I do think there's, there's something to be said there and and you know, a greater atmosphere could have Certainly could have been created. That that kickoff time doesn't help anyone. Absolutely, uh, but the, the bottom line is Liverpool have been so good uh, for the last few seasons that the the level of expectations gone through the roof now, uh, and there will be a proportion of supporters, even even you know long standing ones who've seen it all, who, who, who will turn up expecting to win, and it's difficult to get out of that that mindset. I think, and I think <laughs> I think the penny has dropped now that that you know. Liverpool are, are almost in sort of a bit of a going back to basics situation at the moment. The the one positive was the uh, you know put put together two clean sheets, which was an absolute uh, necessity, uh, and that is something to build on. However dull and rather um, uninspiring it may be. Yeah, there was a definite shift, wasn't there, Lynch? You know, it's something we've spoken about a few times over the last few weeks of kind of just do the basics, defend, keep a clean sheet, and then hopefully you can grab a goal at the other end. I mean, on this occasion, Liverpool went maybe too far the other way and didn't really ever look like scoring, but at least it was they got one element of, of that right. They did look pretty solid defensively. Yeah, I think it was a couple of ropey moments from set pieces, which I think you, you do miss Van Dijk around those, just his, his presence and ability to organise. You know, I think that was sort, sort of some of Chelsea's biggest threat really was around that. But but generally in the game, Liverpool dealt with, with, with Chelsea's threat quite well. And and as you say, it, it's, it is like we said in previous podcasts, really, particularly after Brighton, is you, you just didn't want to see the manager just keep trying the same things that weren't working over and over and and as a starting point when you're building any team is is to go back to basics and make your defence and, and your protection of your defence as, as solid as you possibly can. And Liverpool have done that. And yeah, it, it came at, a, at the expense of sort of attacking football. And, and you, you hope, you know, the ability to bring Nunes back in and, and, and you know, the danger the po- that he poses in terms of his pace and, and physicality, that, that shall help him. It should help improve things going forward in terms of that. And also you hope Gakpo settling. But, it, you know, it may just be the case that this is, just going to be how it is for Liverpool going forward. If they're just going to be a side who, who looks to defend and, and try and hit on the counter if they can, and and maybe sort of improvement in terms of the attacking football isn't really going to come until Gakpo's a bit more settled, until maybe you get Jota back and maybe a bit further down the line get Diaz back. It's it's probably just something Liverpool fans are going to have to suck up. It's it just is a difficult season, isn't it? And and you know sometimes you just got to take them on the chin and and think that yeah, it's it's not going to be start sparkling football between now and May, but you know, if, if Liverpool can be defensively solid and just give themselves that basis to build on, then you know maybe we will start to see some promise towards the end of the season. And then obviously, it's a, it you know we've spoken about it so many times, but it's a, a huge summer coming up. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
yeah, functional, not necessarily the worst thing when you think of how dysfunctional they've been at, at certain points this season. And we've said many times, Gorsi, that, that changes did have to, to be made for, for Liverpool. There was a couple of big calls in terms of the starting eleven. Obviously, Jordan Henderson and Fabinho amongst the, the substitutes. Stefan Bacetic starting the game, which was, you know, a big call, I think, as, as well as he did it. It was a, a bold move from Jurgen Klopp. I mean, he is, is one of those, certainly, that came out with, with plenty of credit. Yeah, definitely. I think... Um... There was, a, there was a few calls around that after Tuesday night at Wolves for Bacetic to be given his, his full Premier League debut. And I must admit, I was a little bit surprised when, when he was in the starting eleven. not because of anything he did or didn't do against Wolves. I just thought, with it being such a big game, Klopp might have erred on the side of caution and went with his, you know, his more experienced midfielders. But fair play to Klopp for, for having the, the bottle to do it and fair play for Bacetic for not letting himself or, or anyone else down because I thought he had a really strong game and I thought it was a little bit of a kick up the backside to the likes of Henderson and Fabinho that, that they were, let's face it, they were dropped for this one, weren't they? It wasn't a case of resting them because Liverpool have only got three games in the next three weeks and that's the kind of schedule that Jürgen Klopp absolutely loves. So it wasn't a case of leaving them out for, for bigger games down the line. It was very much a, you lads haven't done the business for me this season, so you're not undroppable. And, and fair enough because I don't think there's anyone this season who, who've covered themselves in glory for Liverpool and should be beyond reproach when it comes to taking them out out of the team. So um it was a little bit of a different midfield, wasn't it, to what we've what we've been used to in terms of Liverpool in big games. You know, Naby Keita starting his first start in the Premier League since May. Um obviously Bacetic making his full Premier League debut and and Thiago who um has been much improved over the last couple of games. So um yeah just a little bit of a message to Fabinho and Henderson in particular that you know You've got to start booking up your ideas because you know it's it's all well and good these players coming out and delivering the key messages. Um, you know, like in in the program notes from Henderson and I've seen Trent Alexander Arnold with a, a similar interview where everyone's kind of accepting that it's not good enough and things must improve and he has to improve and all that. And that's all well and good and and they are the right tones that you want to hear from these players. But they've got to start showing them on the pitch because since Liverpool came back from the World Cup. I can't really see anything that, that they've been working on. You know, they seem to have regressed, if that was possible, from from what was a really difficult first half of the season. Obviously, they had the big win against Tottenham and followed that on with a decent win at home to Southampton. But, you know, that Aston Villa game aside, they've been really poor and they were very fortunate to beat Leicester, you know, a couple of comical on goals to give them the win there. And since then, it's just completely nosedived in the Premier League. So, it was a little bit back to basics on Saturday. It was a bit... Um, a bit more structured, Liverpool closed gaps and shortened the spaces in between the midfield and the defence. But I suppose the, ups, the, or the the kind of flip side of that is they didn't offer much in an attacking sense. They didn't get anyone kind of overlapping Mohamed Salah for him to drift in field or, or you know, I think Liverpool missed Alexander-Arnold's poise from, from wide areas at times, even though I thought Milner did well enough getting, you know, up and down the pitch. But, um, yeah, it was... A little bit of a surprise that he made eight changes on Tuesday and didn't make six or seven again for this one. But um, maybe that serves as a little bit of a notice to to the likes of of even Joel Matt, who was left out as well. That you know you can't take your, your place for granted at the moment when results are are not where they should be. Yeah, it's exactly what Liverpool have, have been looking for, isn't it, really, Rich, in terms of having these options to, to come in. They've maybe had a few injuries at certain times. They've not really been able to, to change things up, but that was a, a bit of a message. It'd be interesting, actually, to, to see what they do next weekend with who retains their place and, and who comes back out again. 
Well, Klopp said in his presser the other week that um, he's not overly loyal. Uh, I guess he was trying to make a bit of a point there that he's not scared to make changes. He may have, we know he's got, he's probably had his favourites down the year and players that have uh, that that have served him well. We've probably seen how much he's used James Milner this season. Probably a lot more than even than even James Milner probably expected to play. But he's 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 you know he's he seems to have played as much as anyone really. Um, and what what that means going forward, I don't know. But I think what he did on Saturday was it was probably try to pick a team from players who were in form, or or rather not pick the ones that weren't in form or the ones that had let him down. Obviously, Matter had a, I think it was it was against Brighton. He had a pretty disastrous performance. Uh, Fabino's just not been at the races for what reason? Looks like he's towing a caravan after time. Uh, and and Henderson has been has has been. In and out, really, hasn't he? Looked very good in the World Cup, ironically. But um, uh, again, as uh, club captain, has not really been able to cement uh, his own place in that midfield. And then obviously Milner, Milner in it for Trent. So, and then and then Elliot, who who worked his socks off in the uh, in the FA Cup matches, is, is kind of. Oh, I actually didn't think he'd play just because of the balance of the team. But he, he's found a place for him on the left hand side. He did. I did feel like he was a little bit of a square peg in a round hole there, but um, probably didn't do him any favours having to move over to that side. But again, it just it just kind of backs up the the the, the thought process that he just wants to pick players who who, who have shown form uh, or or have put in good performances and then deserve to be back in. So uh, whether he'll continue with that sort of philosophy, I mean, it's, it's a pretty straightforward one, isn't it? But but you know what I mean is at the expense of some of his more established first team players. We'll have to see, and I guess you know they've got a few days now to prepare uh, for that uh, pretty uh, tricky-looking trip to Brighton, which didn't uh, yield uh, a very good result uh, and an even worse performance last time out. And I just get the feeling that that will be another mm-hmm. another uh, example. Of, I don't want to say back to the wall, but certainly a defensively-minded approach. Uh, uh, and, and where it would be more important just not to lose the match than rather than try and go out and win it. Yeah, I suppose as well, Lynch, you can kind of look at it and say, well, like you said before, Darwin Nunez was only able to, to play a little bit of it. Trent was, again, only able to, to play a little bit. If you put those two players in, but play in a similar sort of way, possibly the counter-attacks and the, the overlapping runs and, and all of that sort of stuff, maybe maybe Liverpool can redress the, the balance a little bit in terms of their attack just from just from those couple of players coming back into that team. Yeah, because I think one of the biggest issues was sort of the ability to once Liverpool had won it in a deep position to to play the way out in a in a sensible way and, and sort of find find ways through Chelsea's formation. That was something they really struggled with. And then also your only real out ball in terms of pacing behind was was Mo Salah down that right hand side. And he did try that a few times, but Chelsea were wise to it because ultimately that was the only one pacey forward they had to cover. You know, Gakpo's not particularly electric. It's not really Harvey Elliott's game to to go in behind a lot. So that, you know, that, that made it kind of easy for Chelsea. Whereas I think if you, if you throw Trent in there with his range of passing and, and, and Nunez in terms of his pace in behind that, yeah, it gives Liverpool a lot more threat. And I'd be interested to see sort of, you know, if he does stick with that midfield configuration and this, this way of playing um, going forward, if he does that, yeah, what, what effect it will have to, to bring those two in, because I don't, you know, we, we know that Trent wasn't dropped because of reasons of form. I think he has been slightly better after the World Cup break. I think you know he's one of the few that's actually seen a bit of an uptick in his form. And obviously Nunez had the injury concerns. So you'd expect both of those uh, when they're ready to go to, to be thrown in. And yeah, it, it could make Liverpool a, a bit more threatening. And, and you know that's what we need because 
you know, we said about going this going back to basics in this formation and and change the way of playing, but you you know, you, you do still need that that pace and that ability to play out on the break and, and that was something that was sort of sorely missed against Chelsea. I thought it was interesting, obviously, that they did play Elliot off the left and, and Salah on the right and, and Gakpo through the middle because it would have made a bit of sense to me if you'd have maybe had Salah central and, and Gakpo on one wing and, and Elliot playing in, in his favoured position. I don't know whether I'm reading too much into it, but it kind of feels like they were very, very keen to, to get Cody Gakpo through the middle. Whether whether we see him out wide in, in future games, I don't know. Well, that, that seemed very, very deliberate to me. It did, especially when you factor in that when Nunes came on, Nunes went down the left, didn't he? And Gakpo stayed through the middle. Um, I, I don't profess to have seen loads of Gakpo with PS3, but I'm pretty sure he was almost exclusively a left winger. So um, not sure whether they're trying to reinvent him and adjust his game to play through the middle in English football. But um, you know, four games into his Liverpool career now, I'm still waiting for for him to. I mean, not necessarily tear up any trees or anything but just just to show what he's about a little bit um must admit i'm not not too sure what his what his overall game is about at the moment is it running in behind is it you know coming short to feet or stretching the defense still waiting to see i mean obviously we're not writing them off because it'd be foolish to after you know however many minutes he's had it's not loads is it but um especially coming into a team that, that's struggling a bit but yeah, I'd like to see a little bit more from him over the next couple of weeks, especially while Firmino, Jota and Diaz are still out injured. Um, but yeah, it does seem as though they are keen to, to get him more central rather than out on the left. I, I mean, I'm not a tactician by any stretch of the imagination, but for me it would have made a bit more sense to play Nunes through the middle and, and Gakpo on the left when Nunes came came onto the pitch. Um, but the good news is that he's back at least and will provide you know Liverpool with a, a bit more of a a thrust, shall we say, going forward. Um, I thought Liverpool missed them actually against Brighton because Brighton were happy to to push on and, and they were almost playing on the halfway line at times. And, and like I say, Gakpo reluctant to, to run in behind, always looking to come short with it. So, you know, Nunes is on the pitch. Liverpool can knock it into space and, and more often than not, Nunes is, is quicker than the defenders, isn't he? So I think that might make Saturday's game a little bit more of a different prospect. But um, it sounds strange to say, but, you know, returning to Brighton so soon, is, you know, it's a, a daunting task for Liverpool and, and one where they're probably not going to be considered favourites for it, which does sound strange, but that's the kind of rut that Liverpool are in at the moment and, and you know, testament to how well Brighton are doing. Yeah, it certainly looks like a, a tricky game. I'm sure we'll talk much more about that on, on Friday. But, uh, Rich, just in, in terms of, of Gakpo and, and what we've seen of him so far, I think I'm I'm particularly interested to see what he does with Darwin Nunez. We've not seen a lot of, of the two of them together so far. I mean, we've not, not seen a lot of him at all, full stop. But certainly the, the two of them together, I think, could be could be something interesting to watch out for. Well, I don't think we've seen, don't think we've seen a lot of Cody Gakpo in the games that he's actually played to be honest i think it's been quite a uh, quite a quiet introduction uh, or start to his liverpool career especially after how impressive he was in the world cup uh, and i'm sure he wasn't signed purely on the back of a few good games for holland they've obviously been been looking at him for a sustained period of time but i was certainly uh, hoping to see a little bit more from him so far even in these early stages i mean at least Darwin Nunes had butted someone, so we had a bit of entertainment off him uh, in those early games. But uh, I thought it was interesting how all of a sudden Nunes, who's come in for you know a fair bit of criticism since his move to Liverpool, uh, I felt like his stock had actually risen in the games that he hasn't played in. 
um, to the point where now we're very much looking forward to, you know, seeing him back. It was, you know, the feeling the cop was, you know, get him on, on on Saturday. People couldn't wait to see him on the pitch and, and, and see what a difference that he could make. And he's, he's certainly uh, gone off a, more of an out ball, I think, especially whilst uh, Salah seems to be um, pretty marginalised at the moment. I'm not quite sure uh, what can be done to, to, to get a bit more out of uh, Mohamed Salah at the moment, but uh, whether it's a switch down the middle or, or, or just trying to bring him into play more. Is he is he being marked out of games because there's not too much to worry about on the other side of the pitch? I don't know. But um, yeah, it, it's it, it, a sort of combination between Gapko and Nunes is, is, is hard to gauge, isn't it? Because Nunes has only been at the club since the summer. Gapko's only just arrived. These are, you know, the, the in terms of Nunes, we've still been talking about how he's had the period of adaptation into settling into this Liverpool team and, and the way that they play. And now we're effectively asking him to to hold the hand of, of, of Gapo to uh, to do go through the same process that he went through when perhaps he's still still not quite firing on all cylinders in terms of of his goal return or or, or goals per chances. Uh, if you want to put it that way. So it's a difficult period. It's a transitional period. And of course, Liverpool are having to ask questions of themselves in the way that they play with the personnel at their disposal. So it could be a very, very different looking uh, approach to matches than, than we've come accustomed to for the last few years. And there's no real knowing which way it will go, is there? Um, if it was to put my money on anyone to score against Brighton, though, I think it, w- it would be Nunes over Gapo just... Just on the basis of what I've seen so far. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, certainly be interesting. Obviously, Cody Gakpo, the only Liverpool January signing so far, probably the only one that they will do this month, which leads us on to the next topic, Lynch, around the Deloitte Money League and all of that sort of stuff. I'm going to sort of open the, the floor to, to you, really. It was your suggestion that we, we talked about this. So uh, I will uh, we'll throw over to, to you for this. Apologies for throwing that <laughs> on you, Wow, absolutely full of regrets <laughs> now. Um, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, obviously, you know, huge record revenue shown in that up to up to third in the Deloitte money league and, and probably most significantly of all being above Manchester United uh, uh, you know that is something that you think you know for all the criticism Fenway Sports Group are getting at the moment if you'd have said you know when they came in what is it 11 years ago now that, that Liverpool will leapfrog Manchester United in the Deloitte money league they'll be up to third you know City's position you maybe can't take too seriously but you know just Real Madrid above them um, and and that they would have won in that time as well. The Premier League, the Champions League, the FA Cup, League Cup, Club World Cup, you know, just, just sort of really is indicative of a club that's in, in really good financial health and is, is positioned to, to challenge regularly. Obviously, there have been some issues this season in terms of, you know, and some criticism around the spending, but, you know, I've got a piece that's coming out, I think possibly tomorrow, Matt, it's up to you, <laughs> um, around that, um, about, you know, sort of, where where is the money gone and why why Liverpool's revenues are, are up so high, but they may be not big spenders in the transfer market. But I do think, you know, without giving too much away on that, I think, you know, there's a period coming up now where Liverpool really can spend. And I think, you know, there's been some big infrastructure projects taking on COVID, a lot contributing to their inability to sort of spend those huge revenues. But coming up to now, and going forward, it, it you know it it looks like a really sort of positive picture, and and like I say, it's it's just not something you could have seen over a decade ago when when Liverpool were struggling to qualify for the Champions League regularly, 
Um, you know, they, they just looked absolutely miles off, and it just it just says a lot about the work that's been done by Fenway Sports Group and why I think the club will be so attractive to to potential investors in terms of it being up for sale at the minute. Because you know, yeah, just look at that position on the Deloitte Money League, and you know that will open a few eyes, I'm sure. I'll come back to you as well on this because I, I would imagine, and I, I don't know this for sure, but I imagine that the climb up that money league table is largely because of the sustained Champions League football. If they were to miss out this season, even if it was only for one season, that probably would have a, a big impact, wouldn't it? Yeah, and and I suppose if you know when when the next sort of the the next league comes out next season, and if Liverpool aren't the Champions League, which is what we expect, it, it would have an adverse impact on finances. But there's there's so much else that is propping that up in terms of you know commercial revenue and and, and areas of revenue that have been expanded since FSG have come in um, that makes Liverpool just a lot more robust than they were. And you know I think when they initially came in, it was a lot about okay, just get into the Champions League by any means and then build from there and and. But Liverpool have put foundations in place now, and I think you know one season without Champions League football, and you, you know look at the squad they've got and the signings they're capable of making. Still, you know I, I can't imagine that if Liverpool fall out of it, it'll be a, a, you know a similar case to say Arsenal, who, who fell out and just weren't able to get back in. I think Liverpool have, have got the foundations there to to get in pretty quickly again, and you know there certainly won't be a shortage of money in terms of paying for the wage bill and and, and what they'll do in transfers. Up, you know whether Fenway Sports Group will will opt to go down that route of actually spending it. That's up for debate, but I, but I think I think the money's certainly there, and that's because of, like I say, the the commercial growth and all the other things that go with it to create these huge revenues. Yeah, it's certainly something that's that's going to be really interesting to to see what happens over the next few months. But we haven't lost complete hope yet of Liverpool getting into the top four. Gorsty, you look at the games to come; it does feel like an an important period. It, it wasn't the greatest result, obviously, over the the weekend against Chelsea, but it was a bit of a change in the way that they play. I mean. What sort of hopes have, have you got at this point? I know I ask you this question every single week. It probably hasn't changed massively since last week. But are you any any more hopeful that Liverpool can make up that ground? Or what's your sort of current stance on it all as it stands? In terms of the, of the performances, no. I, I think I was, I was saying to Lynchy on Saturday, just by virtue of it being Liverpool, I kind of fooled myself into thinking, well, they're, they're going to have to play better today. You know, they can't be as poor as they were in the last match. And then they proceed to just be as poor as they were in the last match, if not worse. And and that's going back maybe possibly the Leicester game, which is around about you know a little under a month ago now. I was thinking, well, surely they'll improve against Brentford, and they would, they were, you know, well worse. And then I was thinking, well, surely they've got to improve against Wolves in the cup, and, and it was a similar type of performance. And then the Nadir of Brent, uh, Brighton, and so you know, it, it's not based on on any confidence. Me thinking. Liverpool can turn this around because, um, okay, they have done it in the past, but at the moment they just look so bereft of confidence. They've got no energy. They've got too many injuries to key players, you know, up the top end of the pitch, and they're just not looking like scoring goals that are going to win them win them games. Um, but then I look at the table and I think ten points behind the top four, they've got a game in hand. They've still got to play Newcastle. They've still got to play Manchester United. They've still got to play Tottenham. So you'd imagine they'd have to win all three of those games and, and two of them at home for them to have any chance of, of finishing in the top four. But it's not um, unassailable, is it? It's not completely out of reach just yet. So um, it's got to improve. It's, it's got to turn around at some stage. Um, but the flip side of that is there's, there hasn't been too much evidence of it changing as it ain't soon. It's not like Liverpool have, have put in 
kind of I mean, you know, when they haven't performed in the past, it's been one off and it's been a little bit of a of an off day at the office and, and that can happen, but this is more of a pattern. Uh, and you can probably count on one hand the amount of good performances that Liverpool have had all season, and you probably include all competitions in that, really. So um, this is a, a more worrying trend. Um, and when Liverpool have had sticky patches in the past under Klopp, there's always been a little bit of a key indicator as to why that's happened. You know, you look back two years ago when they had no senior centre-backs and there was no crowd in the uh, in the grounds. But this one, it's... OK, they do have injuries and, and they have had injuries, but um, it's, you know, even when players have been fit, they've still, you know, massively underperformed. And, and that's what worries me now more so than where they are on the table, which is already a particularly dire set of circumstances. So, um, yeah, other than that, it's all positive. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. <laughs> Yeah, I think it, that that's the frustration. I think for for me, really, is you look you look at this weekend and, and Liverpool drew with Chelsea, but then you know, obviously Brentford. You, you'd imagine that Liverpool could finish above them, but they drop points. But they're still ahead of Liverpool. Brighton drop points, but they're still ahead of Liverpool. Even Newcastle, rich up in third, they drop points, but Liverpool didn't gain any ground on them. At some point, Liverpool have to do their job before you start then looking at all the other teams above them. Well, it comes to something when you see Fulham beat Chelsea and you think, get in. And then you realise that that's actually a bad result for Liverpool. Um, and, and that's kind of where we're shopping at the moment, isn't it? You, you, you're looking out for the results of Brentford, Brighton and Fulham before Manchester City. Uh, and yeah, that's a slightly depressing thought really, isn't it? But And that's no disrespect for those three teams. We've obviously built... Decent, decent teams of decent managers and and climb the table on the on their own merits. But I mean, the good news is Liverpool have only played half their Premier League games. They're only at the midway point. They've still got another nineteen matches to uh, sort of resurrect this season, uh, and so there's there's plenty of points to be won. The bad news is there's zero evidence at the moment of them being capable of doing that. Liverpool played Man United, I think it was the third game of the season. And up to that point, United didn't have a point. United won the game. And I'll stand corrected if I'm wrong, but I don't think Liverpool at any point have been above Manchester United in the table since that game. So, And they're now 10 points behind them now. So if that's the case up to this point in the season... What evidence is there of them having any chance of actually catching up Manchester United and overtaking them? I would say pretty little. I wouldn't be placing any money on it, that's for certain. So if you look at the top four now, Arsenal looking pretty good for the league as it stands, unless they get caught by Manchester City. Manchester City definitely going to finish uh, in the top four. I can pretty much guarantee you that. And that leaves uh, two spaces up for grabs one of which is looking like it could could be united the way the way they've been playing and the way they've been improving which which leaves you banking on a, a resurgent newcastle to have a bit of a wobble and, and and drop out and that to me feels like liverpool's best hopes of qualifying for the champions league uh, for me personally and i'm sure it's a view shared by quite a few others and maybe everyone on this podcast but expectations have been well reset I've pretty much resigned myself to the fact that they won't finish in the Champions League. If they do, it'll be uh, uh, a bit of a Brucey bonus. 
Um, and uh, it, it'll be a, a year out and trips to Braga and Zagreb next year instead of Madrid and Barcelona. That's the one thing. Sorry, just to come in on that, sorry, I want to say actually in terms of expectations and the importance of that is that, you know, sometimes, you know, I don't want to say kill all hope, but I think sometimes there is, you know, there's a benefit to, to sort of saying it would be incredibly out of the blue if Liverpool started performing in the way that they have in past seasons, you know, now, if that, if that, if that turnaround in form suddenly came now, I think, you know, you look at some of the issues they got, they've got, and I just think so many of them aren't going to solve themselves until the summer. I think, you know, you, you know, Fabinho and Henderson, I think they just need a, a pre-season and a reset. Nunez settling in. The same with Gakpo. The injury to uh, Diaz, he's probably not going to be back to his best to, to the end of the season. Uh, same with Jota, who's missed so much football. So I think sometimes you've just got to accept that, you know, that, that these bad seasons can happen and, and that there isn't going to be this sudden turnaround and going into every game and, and getting really het up about the idea that Liverpool haven't played as they have played in recent years. It, it, it just probably isn't going to happen and that's fine. But it, you know, alongside that, if you accept that this is going to be a difficult season and, and as Rich suggests, maybe end up in the Europa League or the Europa Conference League, who knows, um, that that is a bit of something different to attack next season, but also that, you know, sudden improvement is not out of the question next season. You know, it's not like Liverpool are terrible now and they have to be terrible next season. Look at Arsenal, where they come from. They've, you know, very, although it's been a gradual process, they've very, very suddenly gone from not qualifying for, to, for the Champions League to t- challenging for the title. Say, you know, Manchester United, that, that improvement has been very rapid under a manager who knows what he's doing. And I think Liverpool, you know, for all the flaws at the moment, you're never as far away as you think from being a top side. And I think, you know, Jurgen Klopp has, has shown he can build that team. He can, you know, and, and, and this squad only probably needs tweaks. It's not as bad as people think. And, and that, you know, OK, if the remainder of this season is difficult and I expect it likely will be and I don't think they will get near the top four, that's fine. Just accept it. But know also that the, the, the building blocks are there and, and, and it, you know, steers into the financial stuff I was talking about earlier. The, the possibility is there for things to, to very rapidly improve next season and, you know that you know these things can happen in football. The season might be terrible, but it but it can very quickly turn around. Just going back to a point Rich made there when he mentioned Newcastle and United as kind of Liverpool's um, front runners, if you like, for the top four. Newcastle have drawn three of the last four games, nil nil. Um, now, I don't think that's been pointed out as as much as perhaps it would have if United had done it per se, or, or certainly Liverpool. Um, Maybe kind of expectations of them, you know, in football are starting to change and teams are figuring out how to defend against them and they're starting to drop points, aren't they? You know, so Liverpool have to, for my money anyway, be looking at them and thinking they're the ones who they can get at and they just need to start putting together a little bit of a run and see where it takes them. And I think that game at St James's Park will be huge for the overall race for the top four. Um, so, yeah, it's just interesting that, you know, for all of the plaudits that they're, they're getting, uh, which, you know, fair play, I think has done a really good job there. But um, now, there's, you know, we haven't had a great run, but I think because it's been a little bit unexpected, it's not quite being scrutinised as much as it should. But certainly something to look at because, um, as I say, if, if teams are approaching Newcastle a little bit differently, do they quite have the firepower to um, to break through those pack defences, which you know Liverpool have had to come up against, you know, for years, haven't they? Or like the, like all the top teams. So, 
just something to keep an eye on, and particularly with them losing Chris Wood as well. It'll be interesting to see what they do in terms of the transfer business. So, um, yeah, just, just one to keep an eye on, I guess. I, if I was Liverpool, I'd, I'd certainly be looking at them as, as the potential ones who, who can drop out of that top four at the moment. Well, all of, all of a sudden, they've become a team to beat, haven't they? The, the yeah, focus yeah. on them, yeah. where, where initially there wasn't. They were just sort of quietly, so to speak, <laughs> climbing the table. But what, I'd have more confidence in being able to catch Newcastle. I'm not saying Newcastle will definitely finish in the top four, by the way. I think it's quite capable that, that they could drop out. But I'd have more confidence in that if I thought Liverpool were capable of stringing eight wins together. Uh, but I don't think they've done better than four, have they? Um, without without checking, uh, and so that, that you know, in, pre- in years gone by, even you know, in in the, the the COVID season where there was a lot of poor results, they still managed to put together that run, didn't they? And it, it might might have taken a goalkeeper to score a header in injury time, but it, it was still a run regardless. And there's just there's just no evidence of that of that coming to fruition at the moment. And and until we get to that point, then it just feels like a tall order. Yeah, I think the next few games are going to be interesting for Newcastle. They've got this uh, EFL semi-final, haven't they? The, the two legs with Southampton. They've got West Ham, Bournemouth, then the Liverpool game, then Brighton and Manchester City. So it could be uh, an interesting few games and we'll see where they are. But like you say, Rich, it will depend more on what Liverpool can do in that period than anything else. And I don't think any of us are particularly confident that Liverpool can put five wins on the spin together. But we shall see. Certainly some big, big games coming up for Liverpool. It could be a defining period, of course. We'll keep you up updated in all of the usual places that will do us though for today's podcast thank you very much for listening we'll catch you very soon indeed you've been listening to the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo